Good afternoon. Good evening. Good night, everybody. Uh, my name is Max Cohen. Welcome to the Mocha Live live stream and podcast. It is Wednesday, February 1st, and I'm joined as always by the founder of the Museum of Crypto Art, Coborn Bell. Coborn, how are we doing? Super. I am coming off a long day of incredibly inspiring conversations, uh, and I think you've laid out some cool topics for us today. Yeah. This is Colborn's second podcast of the day, so make sure to keep him in your thoughts and prayers. The fact that he's even completing sentences is small wonder. Um, yeah, so we're going to talk um, about a lot of stuff that's kind of on everyone's mind in crypto art today, or at least seems pretty relevant. Uh, we're going to touch on open editions. We're going to talk about new people coming into the space or lack thereof. But overarching topic is when the sales stop, does the art stop? And before you just say no, well, let's get into it a little bit. So, Colborn, you have demonstrated across, you know, our multi-year relationship, a pretty um, breathy knowledge of the market and an ability to kind of conceptualize the way that the art market, especially the crypto art market, is moving in general. So I was hoping, you know, you can kind of give us an overview of where we are in this longer, quote unquote, crypto winter um what you kind of see coming forward i mean look i think i think everything is rhyming at this stage but in reverse i think this is no different than when <clears throat> nifty gateway introduced the mechanism back in whatever it was 2021 that like sparked the furor and i that was like blood feud for me i thought that was the most terrible thing to ever happen you're talking um, about the open edition Fuhrer that Nifty Gateway started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The mechanism because we were dealing. It was it was just so interesting because we were dealing with like pretty abundant, untouched supply, right? And we were trying to like translate some sort of idea of scarcity in this, and this just kind of like blew it way out of the water. It was it's such a commercial mechanism to distribute the same thing very, very widely. Mm. It's so, in my mind, you know, I thought Art Blocks was an interesting innovation and in that it was like one of one of X. But, you know, really getting started, it was just like one of one where you went to known origin for like editions. And those editions would be like 10 or 25. Um, it's such like a pop commercial thing to just like introduce thousands and you know uh ness like to their credit had an open edition i think twenty two thousand sold mm. uh that's that's pretty unheard of so before you know we go any further do you think and we'll touch on the open edition kind of meta narrative a little bit later but do you think that this is here to stay or do you think that this is like a moment that <clears throat> open editions are having and it'll kind of you know peter out just as quickly as it seemed to Look, I'll say, you know, I'll say what I said on like our team call. It feels like it's the end of the night at the party. The sun is coming up and like everybody is like doing that mad last scramble for that one last fix. Right. Like it, it doesn't feel good in my mind. I don't see a lot of people like winning on open editions. So, you know, the, the worst part of it is there's like this carrot that people are dangling of like the future potential burn mechanism. But, you know, I don't think very many people are going to spend like whatever it is, 50, 100 bucks, and then like three months later still be engaged to like 
follow through with a lot of this. So in my mind, it's like kind of what became of like some of the social experiments that PAC was doing of like leading people to a destination where attention is like inevitably lost and that momentum cannot continue because when you have everybody focused on one thing, well, the time as time progresses, everything kind of like bifurcates and goes away and the momentum mm -hmm. around that moment leaves and then everybody comes back and it's just like live it. Yeah. But I, I think that the open edition meta that we're seeing is a response, right? Because I get the feeling, and perhaps it's totally misplaced, but I get the feeling that it's something that a lot of artists are kind of doing as a necessity against their will, so to speak. But we're dealing with a lot of one-of-one one artists for the most part, a lot of artists who in the past have either done art blocks drops or um, other kind of more, I guess, blockchain unique styles of making art. Um, and then we have this open edition meta that has kind of taken over conversation in the space, but it makes sense with a long um, moment where sales, especially at a high level, seem to be drying up for all but a handful of these very, very kind of upper echelon perceived artists, right? So what can artists of any level do when the sales dry up? Well, open edition seems like a pretty, I guess in the short term, harmless and uh, pretty you know, quick and dirty way of, I mean, literally surviving, right? Making some cash. Look, like crypto bull markets are super dangerous. I've seen hundreds of people like think they've suddenly made it. They have all of this money. Maybe they think they can like change the round, their lifestyle, because this is going to be like some sort of new income stream. Uh, and then just as quickly as you go up, it dries up and everything that you like kind of got accustomed to or used to or the expenses that you had, like has to all just be like dramatically cut down because uh, it's it's totally out of whack and imbalanced. Um, so maybe some people are, are feeling that as well. Um, I also think there is like there is a compulsiveness to collecting these things into being involved involved in like hyper quick markets. And there is certainly like serotonin and feedback loops of, of marketing and success and wanting to have the spotlight. So um, it does, it feels like a hangover. It just it, to me, it just feels like, again, like the, it's the end of the night, like everybody's got to go home and yeah. then we got to like prepare for the next party. And I think it's interesting too, because we see, I think a lot of the fanfare rather goes to these, harder to acquire artists who are doing these open editions getting you know hundreds if not thousands of editions dropped right and you think about you know a thousand editions minted at 0.06 eth you know that's quite a payday um and i think we don't give enough thought to lower level artists either as we you know generally don't lower level only in terms of their perception as a sales generator right um and as we've spoken about you know, in person and just over the years, right? The conception we have of sales based on where we, like you and I specifically live, right? Like in New York, in the United States, where you need a lot of money to, you know, live a kind of middle-class existence. But when we're talking about artists, you know, who are maybe in like the global South, for instance, right? A lower level artist who's dropping an addition for, you know, 0 0.01, uh, Ethan, it's mostly just their friends or, um, you know, close associates within the space, 10, 15 people minting an open edition. 
that's a huge payday. Um, if you can manage half an ETH out of you know thin air um, in some of these, I guess, uh, less traditionally art world connected countries. So I'm torn, right? Because I think on one level, right at the high level, it does seem like a cop out um, or at least like uh, a short term jumping on the bandwagon in order to you know, accumulate the most amount of sales. But on a lower level um, of artists who do not have access to that high level of sales, I mean, could it not be like a really consistent kind of revenue stream? Um, I mean, it's a tough question, right? Because it is you know, we're question. always we're always kind of juggling this dichotomy of you know we want to preserve the space or at least the integrity of the space on one level, but yeah, people I mean, got to get paid, I, right? I, I don't look. I don't think anybody has like particularly cracked an ethical solution. I don't think the space <laughs> like really drives. Um, ethical behavior mm -hmm. uh you know what is you know what i was just thinking about and this is kind of out of the blue but i haven't seen like a collaboration between two artists in the longest time right that like used to be standard and now it's really really individualistic do you have some examples off the top of your head of like artist collabs that you think are really important or that you know, I mean, there was like, there was an incredible, the one I think about forever that is still like unsold on super rare is like, it's in Mushba's account. It's like ferocious. It's like a, it's the, whatever the younger generation is called. <laughs> Z it's like a, it's like a 10 artist Gen Z collab, which is wild. Uh -huh. um, you know, like artists used to come together and like mix and mash their styles. Uh, and I just haven't seen that in a long time. Well, just a, a little bit of pushback because I agree with you about the collaborations, but um, I do think we see this in some respects with these artist collectives, um, yeah. which is a really interesting way, I think, of navigating this market, right? Um, especially for many artists who are not generating huge amounts of sales on their own. Um, and I think specifically of like making it 24 seven, right? Um, yeah. That a couple of members of the Mocha team, Anubis and Earth Sample um, are a part of. And they make a drop once a month, right? They've got some more, I guess, high sales generating artists and some less high sales generating artists, but it's very collaborative in how the topic each month is ideated. And then these artists are buying each other's work, right? It's essentially like this, socialist-esque structure where you know the success of the highest artist is being kind of petered out amongst everyone so that the whole organism can continue so i don't want to like say it it like you know like i remember very distinctly like a lot of money did a collab with angie taylor right and that was mm -hmm. awesome for like more awareness uh for for both of them it, what has somehow happened is that now instead of like collabs where people are kind of meeting in the middle you'll take like an element from somebody's work and then everybody like does their take on that element right mm -hmm. we saw like tjo's blue i think recently we saw like the photon spiral um and i just i just think i just can't shake the feeling that we have moved so much more from like a general Maybe that's what it is. Maybe there are just like collectives that are operating independently now where in the beginning everything was a collective. But to me, it feels like much more individualistic. 
Interesting. So where does like a collaboration end and something like, um, you know, these homage pieces or the derivatives begin, right? The Grant Young derivatives of his, um, the piece with the cow. Yeah. Yeah. And then like the Rick Ostenbrook, um, the GM, um, I mean, his, I don't know what you'd call his style, but that seems to be a kind of unofficial, somewhat organic kind of collaboration. Just the very fact that these works are CCO, and able to be manipulated by whoever wants them to. It's almost like a community-wide um, collaboration. Yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm talking more about like two artists coming together, really meeting in the middle. Like, there's not, there's no hierarchy of of like really where it came from, but it's like a new generated piece. Um, I was just mm-hmm. thinking today that we lost that spirit. It used to be where that artists. I just think the market killed it. I think the market killed it. I think that's the goal of capitalism, right? I think that it just like (laughs) it just is like making the individual the focal point of the product. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's what, in a large part, kind of inspires me about something like making it twenty four seven or crypto Argentina, right? Is that there is a focus on like the organization itself, right? And that there is no one specific artist, and especially in like the communications of these artists, right? If you look at Crypto Argentina as an example, Frenetic Void is a hugely successful artist in his own right and can probably generate huge amounts of sales in his own right if he were to just release work outside of the Crypto Argentina framework. But he doesn't have an interest in that. The organization doesn't have an interest in that. And it's all kind of to the end of influencing the stylistic evolution and the financial evolution of the group. And why do you think we don't see that more? Because it seems to be a kind of salve for a lot of artists right now who are well, able to like, like, rest in these groups. Talk about like a badass move from Frenetic Void is that was somebody mm-hmm. who was like having all the success, incredible, and then just like midstream in that, just like switch their style, right? Mm-hmm. And, it, and it was like totally different and new and expressive and people like, I, I don't know, I, they didn't get it, but it was just brilliant and then to go and do all the work in like with game disease that is mm. uh was such like a precursor for the incredible like fallout go like dig in thematically to what game disease is trying to present and you'll see the end game of where we are now mm-hmm. and what is the end game of where we are now uh, it's it's like rushing to nowhere Right. Uh It it has lost any philosophical, any sort of like deeper meaning or importance. Sure. Uh, Which I think is a really important point. Um, And I want to kind of return to open edition specifically, because I think that they do change the meta narrative of crypto art as a whole. Um, I, for one, don't think that this is going away. Um, I think artists having the empowerment of minting their own work on Manifold is going to lead to just more open editions over time, right? I think we'll see more one-of-one artists experimenting with more um, open editions over time. Um, and I think that it will probably be seen as a kind of revenue stream for quite a while. But I want to talk more, like less about the revenue side and more about like the ownership aspect um, of these open editions, right? So you own a ton of one-of-ones and I, I'm certain you own a lot of open editions as well, or at least editioned work. Do you find a difference in how it feels to own a one-of-one work by an artist you love versus an open I never, I never really feel like I own any of this, right? Sure. Like, 
I think you only feel like you own something if you're trying to sell it. Mm-hmm. Right. It doesn't, you know, I, 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 I exist with it and live with it digitally. Right. But I don't have any desire to sell it. I don't know if anybody wants to buy it. It's probably like way too weird and out there and esoteric to begin with. So, um, it's just a piece of me at this point. Sure. I guess I, I was thinking about this today um, in terms of like the kind of clout that art, you know, especially crypto art bestows on its holder in theory. And I think this is part of a larger narrative that we touch on kind of every week in like, what are we supposed to do with this art that we purchase? What, what is it for? Right. Is it just for the, you know, joy and clout of owning it? You know, especially if we don't have the displays for it, like what do we do with it? And I was thinking further down the road in terms of these open editions, you know, when I go to somebody's house for the first time, I'm immediately drawn to, to books, right? A bookshelf, man, like what, if they're on the mantle, wherever they are, right? I want to see the books that somebody has because it says a lot about that person, I think, and their taste in general. And I wonder if further down the road, we're going to end up seeing open editions treated similarly, where you're going to stumble into some, or, you know, walk into someone's house or into their metaverse building. Um, and it'll be filled with these editions and you'll be able to glean a lot about the sensibility of the person from the open editions and kind of making that, you know, taste demonstrated by art a little bit more accessible. Or do you think that's a totally, totally too optimistic reading? Yeah, I don't know. I think, uh, I think that I, I don't know, man. I, it's, it's an attention thing, right? It's, it's just like, it just seems deep, you know, people did the open edition piece, which was just like art raining into a garbage dump, like on fire, <laughs> you know, that's what it feels like to me. Right. It feels just like spam, like every, like, you know, I, my, it's, it's just too much, right? If I have 2000 pieces of art, it is too much to manage to like maintain to like between that and and like the, even just like you know how overwhelming the 300 pieces in the museum is yeah right there's so much contained just within those like one of one objects and the storytelling that can go around it and 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 like define narrative and, and capturing um so I don't, it's, it's becoming increasingly difficult to see what, if anything, will actually stand out over time, right? That's, that's the problem of like the, the hyper-focusing everything into that now moment and getting mm-hmm. everybody to experience FOMO and then like kind of absolving oneself of responsibility for anything in the future. Mm-hmm. You're reminding me of um, the Smithsonian Museum which famously has this, it's like a basement that's larger than the museum itself, right? Where there's just giant, giant shelves um, of all sorts of artifacts, super important, historically important artifacts that are just, you know, stored away because there's not enough room to display them, right? And you have things on permanent exhibition and you have these rotating exhibitions. And I feel like that's every huge museum. Like, Like the MoMA stores must be much larger than what we see in MoMA. You know, the couple hundred pieces that actually make it to the walls. You know, what... What does the average person, right, who 
is not affiliated with a museum, right? Does not have access at the moment to a huge metaverse structure where they can display 128 or 256, you know, NFTs like you could do with the largest mocha rooms, right? Like, what is the, and I'm torn with this question, but like, what is the point of somebody like, you know, your average Joe buying 60 open editions from artists they love? What, what do they get to do with that? Right. What does that symbolize? That is my question. And that's probably where I'm having like a, a collector crisis. Like I really haven't bought much in a very, very long time because I can't even get my hands around what it means to do what I did. So again, when you like reduce, when you turn, it's, it's so right. Like everybody wants to hoard these things and feel ownership and connection to these artists. And like, this is a tangible way to do it, but actually what do all of those connections signify? And over time, what does that actually mean? Like how many people are actually in there to like try and turn a profit or how many people like want to begin to live with that object, whatever that means, right? Mm -hmm. Will they ever take the time to like bring it into a metaverse to display it, to like tell the story of the artist? I think that remains to be seen, but I just know as, as like time progresses and life changes, priorities change. Um, and then we're all going to kind of like look back on the artists and wonder exactly what happened because, you know, I've seen it again and again, like projects that just did not, that got speculative attention that did not particularly want speculative attention. All of it was loaded up front. Um, I think like pack is a good example. Mm -hmm. You're talking about the merge I'm talking about the merge. I'm talking about like lost poets. These were all like kind of hidden narratives that people were sold on where they kind of went along on the journey. They thought they were accessing something and it didn't, like even X copies open edition is way, 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 way down. Mm -hmm. Right. And that was only 7,000. Right. Mm -hmm. Of course there wasn't, you know, some of the mechanisms involved, but how, how do, I don't know, you know? Sure. And, and I think it's worth discussing or at least mentioning that like open editions aren't in theory, or at least these large edition artworks are not like crypto art exclusive. Right. I, I think about um, Warhol in 1964 with his Brillo boxes, right? Yeah. Basically made a bunch of cardboard boxes. I'm sorry. They weren't cardboard. They were balsa wood made to emulate Brillo pad boxes, like the soap pads. And he sold them to people. And that's all they were. They were, you know, they were like these, it, it was meant to show that ordinary products under the hands of an artist can be turned into art objects. And I almost feel like the reverse is happening here where art objects are being turned into products. Mm. Um, not much of a market for them at the moment. Um, so who knows if that, you know, the products are worth purchasing, but there does seem to be a very outward commodification of these open editions, which is interesting because you see all the time, my timeline is flooded on Twitter with people warning open edition collectors not to get their hopes up that prices are going to go up, right? These are not for flipping, they're for holding, only get them if you like the art. And it seems very at odds with the actual piece of art itself, the actual product itself, which is very commoditized by nature. Anytime you're going to theoretically have thousands of copies of the same thing, it becomes a commodity. Books are a commodity too, even though they are 
art. They exist in that, you know, strange middle ground. I don't have much to say to that other than like, you know, you, you play shitty games and you win shitty prizes. Like. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, you know, we were t talked about at the beginning of this, that a lot of the open edition feels like a response of sorts to market conditions. Um, a lack of new collectors, a kind of atrophy in the public thought about what NFTs are, um, how useful they are, if they're gambling, what, you know, all the same tired narratives still seem to be holding in the public. So I guess my question for you is where did all the new people go? Right. Are they just like, like where are the people who should be coming in, seeing this space and wanting to like explore here, wanting to get their first pieces uh, of art from everybody already got wrecked. Mm. that's what happens like bull markets call attention anybody and everybody that heard about nfts that was going to get involved with N nfts i guarantee you they already like took their shot and frankly it was probably on like some derivative animal pfp um which you know maybe this is like the artist's response to to pfp i think pfps are like very largely in crisis does anybody actually see any of those communities like sticking together innovating doing something interesting generating all of this like massive ip that that we were promised that was going to like redefine and shape everything uh, but i stand I by i stand by that pfps do have a value to me in theory because they are individual unique objects right you know, it, the community, the, the, everything aside. Mm -hmm. like the, the problem is, is it doesn't expand out. Right. Sure. It just, it's just stuck in its own bubble. So like, I, I'm quite confident that pretty much like anybody on the outside of board ape yacht club right now probably doesn't want to be inside of board ape yacht club. <laughs> you know, sure. I, I don't think they're like being compelled or called to like be a part of this community. Mm -hmm. But again, I think that we form relationships with pieces of art based on their nearness to us as, you know, arbiters of taste and as like sensible souls. Right. And I, I think, and I tweeted about this yesterday, but part of the frustration for me with open editions is that we have these mechanisms like art blocks and like async blueprints, right. Which are going to generatively create one of one artworks out of a mold. Right. And that seems to, it feels very different to me to have a thousand artworks that are all kind of the same, but yours is yours, right? Yours is unique. And you end up inherently automatically forming a relationship to each of those art pieces, right? Whereas with the open editions, you're aware that you're holding a copy of something, right? It is just a nice thing to have to say, I'm a part of this community, whether there is a community or not, almost seems besides the point. And I wish more artists were exploring. I understand why they're not, but I wish more were exploring ways of utilizing the blockchain to both increase, you know, you know, get through this um, bear market, but also utilize the technology at hand in interesting ways. The way I see that these couple of um, platforms are doing so, and I know they're gated and everything, and you know, it, you have to apply, and it's not as easy as just deciding that I'd like to have a addition on. Uh, I feel like async blueprints is open now. I mean, it's a wonderful it? solution. Yeah, I, th I think so. I know that was eventually their end goal. Well, I, I mean, I, there's a million things to say about the lack of. I mean, our... it's obviously it's much harder to do. Yeah, absolutely. 
you know that's that's the problem then just create one one work yeah understood so like you mentioned this when we were writing up the notes for this this podcast but um we wanted to talk about who and what are the vanguards of holding good space and i was wondering if you could elaborate on that right who is holding good space right now what does that even mean i don't know what does that mean <laughs> what does that mean i i i don't I, this is the problem is that like the market became the message. Mm -hmm. So what exactly are we trying to do? Right. We work on a project that is very much outside of like the market commercial interests. You know, I think we all genuinely believe that there is some important art movement here. I think there is largely, I think it's largely representative of like a massive cultural shift and awakening and like transhuman moment of integrating with machines and expressing this integration and like humans going and working with AI and going into VR. Um, and a lot of this art is like beginning to reconcile with these feelings. Uh, you know, do I constantly feel like, like kids get off my lawn because I'm so resistant to all these changes. Like, yes, it's <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, for sure. And I fight that constantly because, you know, it felt like there was a culture worth preserving. So a mm -hmm. lot of the conversations, you know, I've had, but, but then you think like, I think the internet made things like incredibly more monotone and, and like cultural distinctions less. You talk to, like parents, grandparents, and like the traditions and things that they had are, are totally being like lost and rewritten. And this is happening in, in hyper time. Um, so maybe this just is. I don't even know what it means to like hold and be a bastion of good space anymore when things change so fast that like the only thing to be is just rapidly changing and evolving and experimenting. Well, let me, let's, let's bring the example a bit closer to home, right? When you think about the direction of the museum itself, right? What are the values that you believe in this moment are the most important that we maintain the most important that crypto art maintains going forward through these market conditions, right? What are you, how are you angling you know, the museum I'm, itself? Look, I think again, just like a home that speaks to like, a rebellious nature, an inquisitive spirit, like unending curiosity, creative rights, the ability to like own and be sovereign and anything that like helps people learn about, get used to, feel comfortable with these technological tools that are like rapidly uplifting us into some place that we've never been, right? And I know for a lot of people, that experience can be incredibly scary and frightening, but it's a lot easier if we experience it together in like a place where we can converse and have this dialogue than it is just kind of like out there on your own. Sure. Right. So it's meant to be a place that people very easily can come in and out of um, to meet those like also like like-minded, curious, inquisitive people at the intersection of all of these crazy exponential technologies mm -hmm. and how do we begin to like prescribe some emotion some feeling uh 
like number one, I think empathy to the experience that everybody is going through together. Mm -hmm. Well, so, I mean, I think a lot of what you're talking about is like preserving the aspects of like an empathetic community, right? That I believe that you probably saw early on in the days of crypto art that, you know, I missed. And I think a lot about community as it relates to open editions, because it does seem like, yes, you know, we're commodifying art, but there's also an opportunity for any given artist to bring a lot of new people into their like collector sphere, right? And form a relationship that is closer um, than I think you would have otherwise. I do think that that's one thing that crypto art does specifically well, is it allows artists an opportunity to really make a connection with people, right? When their art really connects with people, that's a wonderful thing. Um, but when you can reach out, talk to the artist, hear their thoughts, right? That's part of existing in an online sense on, you know, mostly on Twitter in 2023. But I guess I see a, a dearth of open editions being used as community building activities. And that seems like a missed opportunity to me. Right. The burn mechanisms are great, but it's really just reinforcing scarcity. It's really just a way of saying, oh, yeah, support me financially today. And maybe somewhere down the line, I'll hit you back with something that may you know, help you recoup your investment. But it really does seem like a great tool for community building the way that like airdropped assets can do the same. I, I always go back to like the counter side of that is the story that uh, Judy and Bea Dada told me. Right. Mm -hmm. Is that when they like rescued the 2017 collection and put some of those pieces out there and like thousands of people came in and bought it and the next day like the prices didn't double well they were just in the discord like harassing 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 and you know there was like no understanding no appreciation right so i think for every one person that cares there's probably nine people that actually don't really frankly, give a shit about the artist or the art, but are caught up in something that they think is like, oh, I know this name. This is my opportunity. I'm going to be here for 24 hours. Somebody's going to come on the back. But it's nevertheless important to reach that one person out of 10 who wants to connect in a legitimate way. So how, I agree, you... but, it, but it might just be too much of a headache on the artist. So I... You know, I think I think it's just like opening a Pandora's box. You don't know if it's going to be like, you know, a genie or a demon and like come what may. So, yeah. Yeah, I saw a tweet that was. Uh, I don't know if we could call it motivating, but it was uh, mentioning that open editions allow artists to like function like businesses, right? Gives them a built in community base that they can grow and leverage and scale if they have the. um the fun, like the know-how to do so. And my first thought was, fuck that. <laughs> Why would any artist want to do that? The whole reason artists are artists is because they want to not have to be a business, not have to think about business. They want to create art. And I do feel that there's a potential that people are going to be shooting themselves in the foot and not see it until a year from now when they've built this collector base of people who are mostly looking for an investment that now have this totally misplaced, but regardless, you know, there, um, you know, sense of entitlement to some kind of sales. Look, you know, I know artists are already burnt out. I know they're already doing too much. They're already marketing. So many are wondering like why I, I don't see 
why you would want to open your obligations up. Like there is a reason that galleries sit between artists and collectors, right? And that reason, so there isn't like 50 collectors going to that artist all the time, right? So imagine like having to deal with thousands of people trying to appease everybody. Uh, it's, you know, I, I, I don't even want to imagine it. Yeah. Just like, be careful what you wish for, I guess is the thing. And, you know, I guess don't spend money. You can't afford to lose. <laughs> there you go. I argue so, uh, yeah. Yeah. So we've, uh, we've, beat this topic to death so we're gonna take off for the day um we're gonna take a short break actually um this will be the end of our formal podcast so podcast listeners thank you so much for joining us it's been a pleasure having you and we'll see you next week um after the break we're bringing in renee the cto for the museum of crypto art we're gonna do a little v-tubing a little experiment so we hope that you stick around with us in another couple of minutes so stay tuned we'll be right back thanks everyone <laughs>